Before we start today, we hope everybody's gotten their shirts that's ordered them and is wearing them everywhere you go and answering the important question, what is Come and Take It? This podcast sounds fascinating. But if you missed out this time, keep your eyes open because we'll try to do additional limited edition promotions for all of you, the listeners. And if you want to support the show, you can always go right over to patreon.com slash texaspodcast. So keep liking the show, keep telling your friends, and remember to keep Texas proud. And without further ado, here's the show. Now be careful. My mama was from Texas. Howdy, you're listening to Come and Take It, a talk show about Texas by Texans, where three friends born and raised in the Lone Star State share our views on the history, culture, and just what it means to be Texan. I'm Mike Zulkowski. I'm Sean McIver. And I'm Scott Elfstrom. Born on a mountaintop in Tennessee, greenest state in the land of the free, raised in the woods so we knew every tree, killed him a bar when he was only three. Davy Crockett was an iconic Texan, but most of his life is associated with his native Tennessee. He served in the militia, held various political positions, served in the Tennessee General Assembly, and even in the United States Congress. He left Tennessee in November of 1834, headed straight for Texas, and arrived in January of 1835, because things took a long time then. Seven weeks later, he would be dead. Yet for all of his accomplishments and his many legendary feats, he is most remembered for his last stand at the Alamo. Today we talk about the early life of Davy Crockett, King of the Wild Frontier. But first, what's your favorite Tommy Lee Jones movie performance? Woodrow F. Call in Lonesome Dove, which is a TV miniseries, but still his greatest role. It's a motion picture. It moves. Yes. Um, now be careful. My mama was from Texas. My favorite Tommy Lee Jones character is his prison warden in uh, Natural Born Killers. I love that movie. It's very insane. I'm going to go with another Oliver Stone one, <laughs> and I'm going to say that I like him as Clay Shaw from JFK. Oh, no, maybe it's Clay Bertram. Clay, Clay Shaw, Shaw is Clay Bertram. <laughs> Do tell. Do tell. Oh, genius. He's, the man's a genius. He's from Texas and a genius. Yes. Davy Crockett had a difficult childhood. He was born on August 17, 1786, to John and Rebecca Crockett, the fifth of nine children. He was named after John's father, David, who was killed by Indians while John was away fighting in the Revolutionary War. Though he later gained fame under the name Davy, this was just a nickname that others had given him. He went by David for his entire life. The Crocketts lived a hardscrabble life, moving from place to place throughout Tennessee, desperately trying to make ends meet. In nine years, they moved six times, lost their home to a flood, and declared bankruptcy. John Crockett indentured David three times before he was 16 in order to pay off debts that the family owed. This desperate poverty influenced Crockett to advocate for the poor when he later entered politics. When he was eight years old, Crockett watched floodwaters wash away his father's livelihood and the family home. Disheartened, John packed up the family and what was left of their belongings and headed west. He decided to settle on the forest road leading to Knoxville. There, they built a log tavern with outbuildings where teamsters traveling the road could bed their oxen and spend the night. The boys supplied meat for the tavern by hunting, and Rebecca baked johnny cakes, which are cornmeal pancakes and other food. The guests slept on bare skins supplied by the marksmanship of the Crockett family. One day, when Crockett was just 12, a man named Siler came by, driving a head of cattle east from Knoxville to Virginia for sale. 
Siler convinced Crockett's father to hire out David as his assistant. Davy was reluctant to go, but he ended up making the journey, traveling 400 miles to Virginia on foot while driving the cattle. When they arrived in Virginia, Siler didn't want Crockett to leave, and he just found ways to keep him occupied and working. After four or five weeks, Crockett suspected that Siler wasn't going to let him go home. Anxious to see his family again, Crockett spotted a man named Duggan, who he remembered from the family tavern. While Siler was away, Crockett convinced Duggan to let him travel back with them. In the middle of the night, while the Siler family slept, he slipped away to join up with the Duggan party. He spent several hours of hard slogging through a rising snowstorm to catch up with the Teamster. The going was tough, however, and the oxen, pulling heavily laden carts, could only make a few miles in a day. After a few days, Crockett decided he could make much better progress on his own and headed down the forest road alone, against the pleas of Duggan. Eventually, he encountered another drover returning from Virginia who offered him his spare horse and companionship for the journey back home. Crockett later wrote, quote, The name of this kind gentleman I have forgotten, for it deserves a high place in my little book. A remembrance of his kindness to a little straggling boy has, however, a resting place in my heart, and there it will remain as long as I live. Shortly after returning from his long trip, Crockett's father entered him into school. David lasted four days before his temper got the better of him, and he beat one of the boys after school. Afraid to tell his father and afraid to face the schoolmaster, a man named Kitchen, Crockett hid out in the woods each day playing hooky. His father soon found out when the schoolmaster came to the tavern to inquire why David was no longer in school. Drunk and enraged, his father grabbed a large hickory switch and swore he would give David a beating worse than the schoolmaster would have. Crockett took off running and didn't return for two years. During that time, he often pined for home, but the thought of his father's switch kept him away. He later wrote, I often thought home and indeed wished bad enough to be there. But when I thought of the schoolhouse and of Kitchen, my master, and of the race with my father and of the big hickory stick he carried, and of the fierceness of the storm of wrath that I had left him in, I was afraid to venture back. I knew my father's nature so well that I was certain his anger would hang on him like a turtle does on a fisherman's toe. The promised whipping came slapped down upon every thought of home. So Crockett hired himself out to cattle drovers and traveled the roads in the young nation's frontier. He traveled as far as Baltimore and Alexandria, Virginia, and once even signed up to be a ship's mate. The drover he was with at the time took his extra clothes and money, though, insisting that Crockett must return to his family and threatened to whip him if he tried to escape. One night, while the man was sleeping soundly, Crockett slipped away and traveled down the road until he came upon another drover, with whom he traveled back to Tennessee. Still terrified of his father's whip, he found work and remained employed in various jobs for the following two years. Eventually, he did return home, though, bigger and more mature. Uncertain of his father's reception, he slipped into the tavern and chose a seat in the shadows. The tavern was full of teamsters drinking and telling their stories of life on the wilderness road. Crockett was forced out of the shadows, however, when dinner was served. And while no one recognized him at first, eventually one of his sisters did. Like the prodigal son of the Bible, he was welcomed home gladly. Thoughts of his sins of two years ago were replaced by the joy of the knowledge that he was still alive. Even his father hugged him. Seems a little out of character for this dad. (laughs) (laughs) Now, since Crockett was under 21, by law, any work that he did would be paid to his father. There was a custom, however, that sometimes the father would release his son early after he'd paid off a debt that the father owed. So Crockett's father hired him out yet again to another man named Wilson to repay a $36 debt. 
After six months, David presented the paid-off note to his father and was released from his obligations at the age of 15. Crockett wasn't done paying his father's debts, however. He found work with a Quaker named John Kennedy, who his father owed $40. He agreed to work for Kennedy for six months in return for the $40 note, knowing full well that his father would never repay it. When David returned home with the paid-off note, the response from his father was predictable. He said that he couldn't pay it because he had no means to do so. When David told him it was a gift to him and it was paid in full, Crockett later wrote, He shed a heap of tears. Crockett was now a man, 15 years old, but very experienced in hunting and working and surviving off the land. He would make his own way in the world, leaving a legacy that made him one of the most famous Americans in history. He spent two years in search of a wife. First, he pursued the niece of local Quaker John Kennedy, who we just spoke about, of whom he said, quote, I soon found myself head over heels in love with this girl, but she, not wanting to deceive Crockett, revealed that she was already engaged to her cousin. David was heartbroken, but like all young lovers, he soon recovered and set his eyes on another girl. A nearby settler had three daughters, and Crockett began to court one of them. He even set a wedding day, although he had a prodder to do it. Then, the day before the wedding, he traveled to the family's house, only to find out that his chosen bride planned to deceive him and marry another man. Crockett exclaimed, This was as sudden to me as a clap of thunder on a bright, sunshiny day. It was the capstone of all the afflictions I had ever met with, and it seemed to me that it was more than any human creature could endure. It struck me perfectly speechless for some time, and made me feel so weak that I thought I should sink down. It took Crockett a while to recover from the deception. He began spending time alone in the forest, hunting game while trying to console himself. One day, a neighbor's daughter was teasing him over his romantic woes, but promised to show him the prettiest girl he would ever see at a harvest celebration. True to her word, the girl introduced Crockett to his future wife, Polly Finley. Polly was the daughter of an Irish woman named Jean, whose temper was legendary. Her father was known for his passivity. David spent the next few weeks courting Polly and working hard to pay for a horse. He felt that he needed something that he could call his own to prove his worth to her. On August 16, 1806, Polly and David were married at the Finley House and settled on land nearby. Crockett was 20 years old. In nine years of marriage, Davy and Polly had three children, John Wesley, who became a U.S. congressman, William Finley, and Margaret Finley, who they nicknamed Polly. Crockett was an absentee father on more than one occasion, most famously during the War of 1812, when fighting broke out between the American settlers and the Creek Indians. On September 20th, 1813, Crockett left his family and enlisted as a scout for an initial term of 90 days with the Tennessee militia. He served under General Andrew Jackson during the war, taking an active part in the fighting which took place in Alabama. Crockett often hunted wild game for the soldiers and felt better suited to that role than the killing of Creek warriors and families. He served in the militia until December 24, 1813, after the Creek had been defeated. Later, in August 1814, Andrew Jackson wanted the British forces rousted from Florida and enlisted the Tennessee militia to do so. Crockett re-enlisted as third sergeant for a six-month term, September 28, 1814. But his unit saw little of the main action and was focused mostly on foraging for food. Seems something he's well suited for. <laughs> Crockett returned home in December. He was still on a military reserve status in March 1815 when tragedy struck his family. His beloved wife Polly had died, an event that tore out his heart. He would write of this, quote, In this time I met with the hardest trial which ever falls to the lot of man, death. 
that cruel leveler of all distinctions, to whom the prayers and tears of husbands and even of helpless infancy are addressed in vain, enter my humble cottage, and tore from my children an affectionate good mother, and from me a tender and loving wife. It is a scene long gone by, and one which it would be supposed I had almost forgotten. Yet when I turn my memory back upon it, it seems but as the work of yesterday. Crockett would continue, I couldn't bear the thought of scattering my children, and so I got my youngest brother, who was also married, and his family to live with me. They took as good care of my children as they well could, but yet it wasn't all like the care of a mother. And though their company was to me in every respect like that of a brother or sister, yet it fell far short of being like that of a wife. So I came to the conclusion that it wouldn't do, but that I must have another wife. So this is where we leave David Crockett at the moment of terrible tragedy, but clearly his character has been formed, and he will rebound from tragedy to become, as we said, one of the most famous Americans and frontiersmen of all time. Yeah, and you know we started out with the ballad of Davy Crockett, at least the, the first verse of it, and I, I remember singing that as a kid. I think we might have had it on a record, had it on the Disney record. But, you know, the story of Davy Crockett is one of those... It's one of those stories, again, like Jim Bowie, where it starts out and it seems like a tall tale, like all the adventures he had, the how independent he was as a child living on the, the frontiers of Tennessee. And you think, oh, that's an exaggeration. That that's There's no way that's a real thing. And while, yeah, killing a bear when he was three years old, that's probably an exaggeration. The fact was, when he was a young man, he was out working, paying off his father's mm-hmm. debts. He lived on his own for two years when he was had barely reached puberty, probably. Yeah, well, you read the tales of these wild frontiersmen, and you you realize, one, that there's no unions, there's no OSHA, there's no child labor laws, that it's... <laughs> there's no insurance. There's no insurance. There's no antibiotics. There's nothing. Um, but, you know, these guys are just... that we, we time and time again tell these kind of tales that... You know, we, we think of Davy Crockett as this man of men and this, just this icon, but... There was a lot of really incredibly savvy, tough people walking around that time. And I think mm. the differentiator for for Crockett comes not now, but into what he becomes, that he evolves from this yeah. to become the statesman. Right. To, I mean, to, he's he's kind of like an Aragorn figure where he's the, the ranger out in the woods that then takes his place on a sort of throne in but, the government. But I think early in his life, he developed a reputation and a sense of honest dealing of fair dealing and integrity. You know, the fact that he not only finished paying off his father's debts, but actually took on one of his father's debts and essentially showed his father that he could take care of the family and he could, he was more responsible than his own father was in a lot of ways. But it it was endemic of the time that, that everybody on the frontier incurred huge amounts of debt. So Crockett himself would later incur a lot of debt as well. To me, the frontier seems like kind of the place is like how they used to teach kids to swim. <laughs> it's highly effective. We're just going to throw them in the deep end of the pool. Yeah. We're going to lose 20%, but those 80% can <laughs> swim yeah. Yeah. like nobody's business. Here you go, kid. Here's a rifle. <laughs> and that's, and I think that's, you know, that's the thing. I mean, you, you know, it was tough living. And I just think it's like you, we told a story last week, Scott told a story where his car got a flat tire and then his spare had no air and that was being stranded in the middle of the wilderness but it's like (laughs) this is your 
six or eight or whatever, and you're going to walk through a snow drift for, you know, 200 miles to get to Virginia or to get to wherever mm-hmm. you're going. You know, it's just an incredible amount of hardship to, to, yeah. to imagine putting on a not just a per, any person, but even then a child. Yeah, and it seems like everyone on the frontier literally existed on a precipice of disaster. Like, yeah, a flood came and wiped away their home, and so they had to go start over completely. Mm-hmm. And it's, 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 it's very much outside of... Yeah, our and, frame of reference. Yeah, and this is we're talking about the, uh, you know, later on when he joined the militia and he fought in the the Creek War under Andrew Jackson. It's another familiar story of a proto Texan um, being in the thick of things as far as mm-hmm. conflict and showing a propensity for uh, ex- excelling in right. that arena. But but he was most noted in his service for basically feeding the army. Like Right. Well, he was a marksman, yeah. right? So he he knew how to hunt, he knew how to provide. Well, I think it's just like like everything else we see. This is the traits of the character of the man he will become are emerging right. all throughout the story. Yeah. Well, and I mean, and he shows that innate independence of the the Texan that we've mm-hmm. talked about for Many, many shows. Yeah, and and three characters who are critically important to Texas history were at in this this army under Andrew Jackson, which is Houston, Crockett, and Jim Bowie. I smell a conspiracy. <laughs> no, I think it's interesting that the what we would think of as one of the the world's greatest frontiersmen, greatest hunter, one of the toughest, bravest souls ever to walk the earth, terrified of his father. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, terrified and, of going home. And and and. and you know, in addition to that, the quote that we're reading there that you read when his wife died and how, I mean, I know he wrote that later. He didn't write it at the time, um, but still the the emotion that he conveys in those words and the, yes. you know, how devastated he was, it, it's a very moving mm-hmm. text. You know, I think there's a, a thing to be said for, it's interesting to see these people who are self, I won't say uneducated, they're self-educated and a lot of, you know, self-made Men, Sam Houston was the same way, and yet they were great orators. They were great writers. They mm-hmm. they spoke from a place of passion, and and it's just it's interesting to really see that there's just this raw ability they were able to to capture using words. Mm-hmm. So we've talked about Davy Crockett's early life when he was a child up to when he became a man at the age of fifteen. Um, next time we're going to get into. Um, a little more of his adulthood and his involvement in the uh, Tennessee government. Yeah, his public life, the beginning of his yeah, public the, life. So this is this is really more of his private life up until the death of his wife. And so now he's about 28 years old, 29 years old. And now we're going to get into his public life. That wraps things up for today. You can find notes and links from today's show at brainstable.com. We'd love to hear from you. So like and share us on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter at Texas Podcast or go to brainstable.com and leave some feedback. You can find our show and many other great history podcasts at historypodcasters.com. If you'd like to support the show, be sure to visit patreon.com slash texaspodcast. A special thanks to contributor Paul Schmel for helping us to research and write this episode. If you want to follow us individually, I'm on Twitter at Mr. Java. I'm Max Sean with two ends. And I'm Scotticus. We know you love the show. So get out there and tell your friends and leave a review on iTunes. That really helps us out. And it's what Davy Crockett would do. You make sure to join us next week. And remember that even if you aren't from Texas, Texas Texas wants you anyway. anyway.